This is episode 16 with Wallabies legend, Nathan Sharp. episode 16 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Another great episode today. We've got Wallabies legend Nathan Sharp in the house. Sharpie's an awesome player. He's an absolute legend who's played, you know, his longevity when you think about the position he played was, was quite brilliant, playing from with the Wallabies from 2002 to 2012. Love what he's doing off the field now. He's a great commentator for Channel 10 and really insightful. You know, he gives great insights into what exactly it is like to put on that, that that green and gold jersey. So I'm really excited to get him on. Before I get Sharpie on, just a big thank you for everyone tuning into the show, leaving me five-star reviews on iTunes, subscribing to the show, and tagging me on posts on uh, social media. So keep it up. I'm on social media, Facebook or Instagram. I'm at Tristan Cannell or Tristan Cannell Fitness on Twitter. Please send any guest requests through or any feedback to Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. I'd love to hear from you. So anything from guest requests to any feedback on the show, send them through and let's have a chat. Now, without further ado, here is my special guest, Nathan Sharp. Nathan Sharp. Nathan is a Wallabies rugby legend, having 116 caps to his name between 2002 and 2012. After debuting and playing 70 games for the Queensland Reds, he became the inaugural captain for the Western Force, where he played 92 games. He has made an impressive transition away from the game with various entrepreneurial ventures, while also working in the media for the 10 Network. I welcome the legend, Nathan Sharp. Sharpie, welcome to the show, man. There you go. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, most definitely. Sharpie, obviously I want to touch on the Wallabies first up. I know you covered the game for 10 on the weekend. What were your initial thoughts on, on the game, man? Oh, look, it, it probably didn't change too much, mate. Like, uh, Australian rugby's got a bit of work to do, particularly uh, around, um, <clears throat> I think, skill execution under pressure, and that's not just um, reserved for the Wallabies. That's right across the, the park, you know. So there's, there's a fair bit of work to be put put into the um, development levels um, and, and pathways in Australian rugby. And, and that's something that hopefully they're um, working on at the moment. Yeah, Sharp, is it really hard, especially for a team like the Wallabies, you know, with no disrespect to Italy, you know, they're ranked number 15 in the world. You know, you've been there yourself. Was it always hard when you're not playing like the top five teams? Oh, uh, not really, no. I mean... Those games are tricky because they are a bit of a banana skin. You know, you've got to, you've got to, um, if you win by 40 points, that's what you should have won. And if you win by five points, it's not enough, you know. So, um, they are difficult games. But, you know, on the back of a game like Scotland, it, 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 what you don't want to get, um, 
rely on in, in rugby is to be reliant on emotion, you know, to have a bad performance and then spike to a good one because you have a shocker. Yeah. So if you look at the All Blacks, you know, that they play consistently all the time and, and when they have the big games, then they rely on a bit of an emotional spike. And, and you know, currently, and Australia's been doing it for 10 years or so now, it's, it's almost relying on an um, emotional spike every time they need to rather than relying on the process of good skill execution. So I, I think that's got to change at, at the fundamental level of Australian rugby. Yeah, are you, th- are you feeling that because of pressure from other sports like rugby league and AFL and the amount of money getting kicked into those sports, do you think the junior base is different to when, when you played? Oh, look, I, I don't know if it's any different to when I played, but certainly Australia's got unique um, issues that, that you know need sorting out, and that, and that is currently um, an issue for Australia. But that landscape's not going to change. Like, AFL's not going anywhere. League's not going anywhere. So the one thing unions failed in is adapting to that uh, landscape, I think. So, you know, changes have to be made now to see success in five or six or seven or eight years. You know, you're not going to make a push a button and things are going to be fixed in six months and and people have to realise that. But the decisions and hard decisions have to be made now to to get that long-term result, you know. Yeah, so Sharpie, what do you think the realistic goal is for the next World Cup? Is it a quarter-final? Is it a semi-final? Oh, I mean, the World Cup showed at the last World Cup, didn't they? What what can happen? You know, everyone wrote them off before that World Cup, and they made the final. So, the realistic goal is is to is to to be involved in that finals. And once you get to the finals, then anything really is possible. So, um, you know, that would be what Michael Checker and all the boys would be wanting to do: to get to the finals and see how it unfolds. Yeah. Do you think? Just having a look at the stats on Super Rugby, I was just reading today. We had New Zealand teams versus. Australian teams, and it's 23 blot. Do you think that has a huge amount to do with it as well? It's to do with what, sorry? So in the Super Rugby tournament so far, New yeah. Zealand teams yeah. versus Australian teams, it's 23 nil in favour of the New Zealand yeah. teams. So yeah, yeah. do you think that has a huge amount to do with, obviously, the New Zealand's dominance and possibly continued dominance when they play again in August? Oh, look, I think all it really says is that New Zealand has a better program um, yeah. right throughout. You know, the Australian rugby um, hasn't done a good enough job in making sure that they're strong right across the board. You know, Australia's always produced, you know, relatively competitive, if not very competitive, uh, you know, twenty top 25 players. But, you know, as the game's grown, a lot of players get, a lot of potential players go to Aussie rules and to rugby league. And, you know, that just erodes the depth of Australian rugby, and we're seeing that now with, you know, trying to stretch people across five teams in Australia. You know, to be quite frank, you've got guys that are playing club football that should be playing just club football, playing yeah. super rugby. So is, you know, obviously they want to lose a team, and unfortunately it might be, you know, one of your your teams, Western Force, that might get kicked out. So are you feeling that we just need four teams and we just develop those four teams? Yeah, look, I, I think that's the way that has to happen. You know, I... I, I I'm very strongly against getting rid of the force, though, because if you look at what they've created, um, you know they've, they've put together the right financial uh, sustainability off the field now, and, and that, and that, you know, to be fair, would have been nice to see a couple of years ago, so they weren't in that position. But you know, it really has shown who's supporting the team there, and they've also developed developed pathways there as well. They're, they're starting to introduce players into professional rugby. And into the Wallabies that were born and bred in Perth, and that, and that was part of the charter for 
the force when they first started, you know, and I know that because I was there. That was the main charter to produce wallabies, and they've got that up and running now. So, you know, that's that's my own bias on the situation, um, and that's not going to change. But, you know, there's people smarter than me that are making these decisions, so we just hope that they make the right decision. Now, I'm sure that you could give a good feedback into all that sort of stuff. Sharpie, I want to take you back to the start because... You're six foot eight, so my first question, I'm only five foot five, man. What did your parents feed you to make you six foot eight? Because I need some, man. <laughs> Mate, I think I just ate all my greens. That was about it. <laughs> and how does a kid playing AFL turn into this lock for the Wallabies? Oh, mate, I just went, I started playing AFL, as you said, and I moved towns, and it happened to be a, a town that, um, Oh, sorry, at school we played rugby union, so my mates were playing, and that's sort of where I went to. And then university sort of happened, and it was just a natural flow-on effect from there, I suppose. Yeah, and Sharpie, do you have a secret punt on you or a goal kicking? What what can you do, mate? I'm not a bad punter, mate, but the backs would never let me get my hands on the ball to kick it. So <laughs> um, by the time I got up to the old mate, I was too worried about tearing my hamstring, so I gave that sort of stuff away and left that to the young guy. <laughs> what do you remember about your debut for Queensland? Um, just that I was, you know, so scared of letting the, these legends down that I was playing with, you know, yeah. these guys like Todd O'Keffer and Johnny Hills and Dave Wilson and, you know, Tim Horn and the rest of it. I just didn't want to be the guy on the team where they turned around and went, you know, he's this young bloke, he's, he's not up to it. So I, I pretty much lived my whole career that way, just trying to make sure that I earned my place in the team. Yeah. Did anyone in particular take you under their wing? Uh, no one in particular, but I had a lot of mentors that, you know, that, I learned different things from. You know, they they were a pretty successful bunch of guys and, and they, they pushed each other pretty hard. So I always was very appreciative of that because um, uh, I learned some pretty some pretty valuable lessons on how to, to be hard on yourself so that you could be, um, you know, sorry, to, to be hard on your teammates and but at the same time be hard on yourself. You know, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, and as, as a leader, obviously going through all the way into the Western Force, was that kind of your leadership philosophy to, you know, be hard on yourself, like you said, but at the same time, also give feedback to the other players. Yeah, I think I think leading by the way that you did things is the most important thing you can do um, as a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, people have got to watch what you do and learn from that. Um, you can't. You can. Doesn't matter how much you say something. Uh, if people see you doing it, then they respond to it far better than being told what to do. Yeah, and when you took over, well, when they offered you the inaugural captain's role at Western Force, like, what was the process going from obviously being in Queensland for so many years, and then having to switch over to the Western Force? Oh, mate, it was, it was really hard. You know, um, it was something I never thought I'd do, uh, but the circumstances were right at the time, and um, in the end, I was, was probably uh, left with very little choice but to make the, the move. You know, so. Um, um, in the end, it was the best thing I ever did. You know, it was a it was a great time of learning. Some fantastic people. You know, the Western Force had a tremendous supporter base. People that worked in the business, people that supported the team. Um, you know, we, we we were very very lucky uh, to go through that process, and it, it wasn't great success. Like we did sit back and go, well, you know, we're winning like the Crusaders are, but um, you know, I learned some very valuable life lessons through that period. Yeah, and can you share maybe a couple of life lessons that you actually did learn during that period? Oh, just how to deal with things that, in a better way, you know, you look back in hindsight and, and you see the opportunities that you created and, and, and the way you could have done things a lot better. You know, starting up a new a new club from scratch is certainly a pretty unique 
experience, and, and I think we got that wrong on a lot of occasions. Even though we tried, we just maybe made the wrong call here or there. And, and um, you know, you look back and go, geez, if we had only done that a little bit differently or made a decision here, um, we might have done a bit better. Yeah. Um, but that's why it is. That's life, you know. Yeah, and with, with the team being so young, in terms of your day-to-day role, you're a little bit more hands-on than had you have stayed at Queensland? Um, not really, no. I was probably at that age of my career where I was, I, I was, I was captain of the Queensland as I left, so, you know, I sort of, I, I just thought it was important to, to um, you know, try and live the way that, that I wanted the rest of the team to, to sort of perform, I suppose, and, and you know, that, that changed over time. As I got older, I realised things I could have done better, like anything, mate. Uh, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. You you know, you played over 116 games for Australia. It's a 10-year period. That's that's a long a longevity. Did your training have to adjust from when you first started to when you finished? Oh, it just got harder. Um, you know, that that was just part and parcel. It, but you you adapt and you get on with it. And um, you know, there's no point in trying to resist it. Otherwise, you you wouldn't be able to stay with the young guys coming through. Interesting one. An interesting question I've been getting, especially I feel that you know the guys, the legends that are more retired now, they're more open to speak about players that not not feared, but you know guys that you know really either well yeah either feared or helped them when they played them lift to a new, new level. Was there anyone maybe from the All Blacks or South Africa that as soon as you knew you were going to play with them, you just stepped up to another level? You're going to play with them or against them? Against or them. Bias or? Against them. Just oh, yeah, look, I, I think in, in different areas, you know, I think um, whenever you played a team, whenever, whenever I played a team with um, Victor Matfield running the line out, you know, he was a very good technician and organiser of that, that area of the game. And obviously that was an area that I was in control of. So I always knew when we played teams that he had a line out uh, operating in that, that we had to be very, very organised and very disciplined. Uh, and you know, quite often, you know, being just from the makeup of the team, we'd only have two line out jumpers, and he might have four at his disposal. So you know, you had to put a lot more work into to making sure you, you yeah you had some alternatives if, if things weren't going so well. So you know, he, he was one guy that was um, in terms of that area of the field, that area of the game. Yeah. Um, the rest of them didn't really worry me too much. You know, um, you could sort of find your way around the, most of the other line out operators, but Victor was 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 pretty good. And mate, I guess Jerry Collins, he, he knocked me out a few times. So, um, <laughs> I was going to ask so, you about that. Yeah, so I always had a bit of an eye out for him whenever I, was, whenever I had the ball in my hand, that's for sure. It was a mad feel. What happened when you lost your, your front teeth? Oh, no, I was, I was diving to tackle um, Jacques Ferry and uh, the back of his heel just clipped, clipped the, uh, underneath the back of, underneath my teeth and just um, popped them like, like a bottle, bottle top. Uh, did you know you did it at the time? No, not at the time. I didn't feel anything. I just came up and, and I saw my mouth guard lying on, on the ground, and um, I was like, "Oh shit!" Came <laughs> out of there, and, and then uh, sort of, you know, could taste the blood, and then realised that I'd lost my two front teeth. So uh, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a great time. There was only about five minutes left in the game, and we were winning by sort of thirty points. So it's not not, not ideal to um, to finish your contest that way, sitting on the sideline with the, with all the groundsmen. Doing an emu parade, looking for my front teeth. That was um, that was an interesting day. That one. Yeah. What do you have to do? Go to emergency or something? 
Ah, uh, yeah. The, there's a doctor, there's a, sorry, there's a dentist on site. And then um, obviously I just went, they found my teeth, thankfully, and, and they pushed them back in and glued them and put a brace over them. And it ended up being okay. So I've still got them to this day. Oh, Jesus. Thank God, eh, Sharpie? Yeah. Sharpie, you won two John Eels medals in the 2012 and 2007. So that's a testament to the way you played because, let's be honest, a lot of backs sometimes dominate those those sort of awards. What do you, What was different in 2007 and 2012? Oh, I don't think anything was different. I, I mean, those 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 uh, medals are voted on by peers who mm. who play the game on the field. And, you know, and and as you happen, you you watch um, games from the sideline, and, and often people are, you know, just looking at it from a higher level. Whereas because it's voted on by your peers, they know what's going on in the field. And yeah. if you actually look at that medal, it's quite often forwards that win it because. Um, you know the, the the guys that are on in the battlefield in the trenches with them kind of know what's going on. So yeah, um, yeah it's, it's and that's a funny award because it actually it's probably the opposite of what everyone thinks. It's, it's generally a forward who uh, who comes away with it. Yes. Yeah, so, so how is that voted on? Is it like after a game you all put someone's name in a hat, or what happens there? Yeah. No. We um, not in a hat. Just uh, the manager walks around and says. You know, give us three points for your best player, two for your second best, and one for your third best. And um, you know, at the end of the year, that's accumulated, and they have a winner. Can you vote for yourself? So there's a bit of bit of bit of, bit of campaigning goes on in the dressing room. <laughs> you know? Can you vote Staying for yourself? Hour. Yeah, no, nah, you can't, unfortunately. <laughs> it's quite an interesting way. Sharpie, off the field, you've you've done quite well in terms of you know launching a media career. You've got great entrepreneurial stuff going on with you got the F45 and I so you're doing I can see all the time you always put posts on your social media with all the different mining sort of things with the SES labor solutions that you're doing did you find it yeah. hard and did you struggle at all once you you, you put your retirement in um, yeah of course everyone has that goes through that I guess that um, that problem when they retire yeah uh, but I was pretty lucky because um you know, I had some pretty good people around me, or very good people that that um, sort of pointed me in the right direction and, and got some good advice. You know, a couple of years before I finished, they, you know, uh, a mentor of mine said, "Make sure you retire to something, don't retire from something." So, you know, that was in, in the back of my mind when I was planning my exit from the sport. And you know, luckily, I didn't. I was I was able to, I guess, be in charge of when I finished up. Yeah, you know, I, I knew when my last game was coming. I was in control of that, whereas a lot of my mates that didn't get that chance. You know, they might have got in, injured or deselected, and you know, still up in the air as to when they were going to finish up. So you know, I was pretty lucky in that space. And um, you know, as I said, I had good people around me. They they uh, made sure I was um, going the right way. And and from there, um, it's just been it's been a just a hell of a learning curve. Really, you just sort of come out and, and try to try and do the right thing. And sometimes you sometimes it ends up on your side, and other times it doesn't work out. But you know, hopefully you learn enough from that to, to keep going. Yeah, and Sharpie, that stuff that you do in the mines, it looks quite interesting. Can you just take us through what exactly that is? Oh, yeah, so no, it's, 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 you know, it's very different to what um, the former life, but, yeah, generally um, it helped find uh, people for, for mining and civil infrastructure jobs around the country. So uh, there might be a need for certain skill sets, you know, heavy machinery operators or drill and blast crew, 
Uh, and so I just I get to different sites and try and work out how I can help people find good people for their position. And um, yeah, you know, to do that, you sort of got to get on there and understand what they're going through and, and the sort of people they're looking for, and, and that certainly helps me provide the right kind of people. And um, you know, I, I'm not one that likes sitting in an office and, and um, from Monday to Friday and yeah. crunching through through numbers. So I like being out there and understanding people's problems and then trying to find some solutions for them. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Sharpie. If you haven't yet, please check out some of our other episodes. Our last couple of episodes, we had Kai Simon, Paul Wade, and I think one of the ones you really like if you're a rugby fan is the one we had on with David Campisi. And here's a quick little sneak peek from the show with Campo. Oh, uh, look, it's difficult. Firstly, you want to love what you're doing. Yeah. If you don't love what you're doing, don't do it. You've got to be really passionate about it. If you want to be the best, learn, watch the games. If you want to be a good netball player, you can't not watch netball to be a great netball player. Yeah. Rugby's the same. You can't be a great player if you don't watch someone in your position. I Every time I coach around the world, uh, I ask the kids, okay, you love the game, yes. Okay, what position nine? Uh, are you, uh, I'm a half. Good. Who's your best player? Oh, uh, John Logan. I said, well, John is not going to help you at a number nine, is he? <laughs> you've got to watch a number nine in your position. Yeah. Or as you're a number eight, you can't be a winger. So you've got to watch someone in your position. You've got to see what they do that you don't do, and you've got to go and try things. Um, I always believe also that you've got to do the basic skills. You can't be a flair player. You can't do the simple, basic skill. And one thing, one of my, on my webpage, it's, uh, uh, you mentioned, www.davidcampy.com slash skills. I've got nine basic skills that any coach can use. Uh, it's very, very simple. They're very basic skills, but I still practice those. Even though I played for the Wallabies, everything we did there is what I did playing for Australia. If you can't do those, you can't do the hard things. So, as I said, the most important thing I tell kids, don't go for the money. If you love the game, go and play for a team that you know that you're going to fit in and you're going to have a lot of fun. If you go for the money... So if you haven't yet, guys, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, or if you're an Android user, please log on to the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. Lots of sports stars across all different sports, guys from Mark Hunt to Mark Ocalupo to Robbie Madison. So I'm sure that you will get plenty of entertainment there. So without further ado, let's get back to the show and get back with Sharpie. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Where that entre- like I know you spoke about having a mentor before, and that they helped you, you know, once you did announce your retirement. But in terms of entrepreneurship, like, is that something that just really, really interests you? Oh, look, I, I think it's probably something that um, I was just lucky to get into. A mate of mine had a great idea, and which was SES Labor Solutions, and, and he said, "Well, how about it?" And um, so we started it up together, and I was. Currently at the time, looking at some jobs in some in some big bigger corporations, but this one kind of stacked up, and, and we thought it would be good. We knew we worked well together, and we decided to just do it. So it was it was pretty exciting times, and I think you know looking back now, um, I, I probably never thought we would have got to where we got to at the moment, and you know hopefully we can grow it even more significantly in, in the next couple of years. So yeah, look, I probably just fell into it, but I. I I, I do enjoy, you know, working with my, my best mate, you know, so I'm very lucky. Yeah. You know, that sounds pretty cool, but do you guys, have you created a bit of a vision, maybe a five-year plan of where exactly you want it to go? 
Yeah, we do. Yeah, we, we, we do those, yeah, I guess, that uh, assessment of, of where we want to get to. Um, and from there, we just try and take a little step along the way. You know, you've got, if you look at that five-year goal every single day, it seems like a long way away. But if you set your, your tasks from day to day and week to week, mm. you kind of turn around two years later and go, geez, we, we've actually climbed a fell out this mountain. You know? So that's, that's, that's the same in, in sport. That's the same in life. You know, if you look too far ahead, you, you kind of lose sight of where you are at the moment. And we're certainly just taking it week to week at the moment and trying to, uh, you know, grow as well as we can. Yeah, that's some great advice. Now, Sharpie, I've just got a few personality questions just to finish off the interview. Far away. All right. How do you manage stress? How do, how do I manage stress? Yeah. Uh, exercise. Go and uh, sweat it out. That's how I, I kind of do it. Just sort of forget about, forget about everything for sort of forty-five minutes to an hour and, and do that. Do you do uh, much F forty-five yourself? Yeah, yeah. No, try and get in there sort of uh, most mornings and week. Get in there at five thirty and, and bang it out and, and be done by sort of quarter past six, six thirty, and, and start the day. Your, your studio is right in the city, right? Yeah, yeah. We're in uh, Queen Street and, and on North Quay, so. Um, We've got, we've got a couple in there, and, and that's that's really fun, actually. It's, it's a great little culture because you go and train with everyone and go and have a coffee with them afterwards. Yeah, it's a great, little, actually, yeah, it's a great community, F45. I, I like that style. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, yeah, and that kind of came about because um, uh, Mark Bartholomew and myself, were, we'd finished, both finished playing rugby, and we, we didn't really know. You know, we got, kind of got sick of just going to the gym on our own or going for a run. And, and, and Barty said to me one day, oh, we should go and check this place out. So we went down there and trained there for a bit. And we both loved it. And we, you know, realized it was a franchise operation. And, and it was something that we could probably manage between our, our you know, our, our priority of jobs. And, and it was. So we set it up and got it running. And now it just ticks along. And it's, it's good fun to be involved with, with um, some people that are all pretty like minded, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, everyone out there, you better go F45 in Brisbane, Church, Queen Street, you said? Yeah, Queen Street, yeah. Queen Street, yeah. you need to work out with Sharpie and you can carve him up. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in there most, uh, most of the morning, so come along, it's good fun. <laughs> Next time I'm up in Queensland, I'll have to stop in and say good day. Mate, come and sweat something out, mate. We, we get all sorts in there. We get the people that are real fitness fanatics and also people that uh, just like to have a few beers and sweat it out the next day, so it's good. Yeah, nice one. Sharpie, did you have a favourite game at all? Uh, yeah. Um, the 2003 semi-final against New Zealand, where no one gave us a chance, and then we we came out of the blocks and um, smashed them. It was good. I enjoyed that. <laughs> but, and, and, and just about any time that I um, beat England, at, either in Australia or, but especially at Twickenham, I really liked that. That was that was some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, what was it about Twickenham? It just seems like all stories. Like I spoke to David Campese a few weeks ago, and he loves to join and like. Anyone pretty much I speak to is just I don't know what, what's it about at Sharpie. Oh, I just I just hate hate the Poms, mate. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so it, was, it was good to be on their home track. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think you can answer yeah. any better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sharpie, did you have any superstitions? Uh, or still probably, do? Uh, no, not so much anymore. I mean, you know, I'm not, not, not like I'm running out to play a test match every day these days, but um. I always had a, a, a pair of jocks that I used to start the season in and try and wear for every game. Obviously, wash them after that. But um, from from there, 
not not too much. I had some. I always used to listen to Pearl Jam before I ran out to play. That was that was something I was always dead keen on. Um, so it wasn't too bad. I, I try not to get too many superstitions because um, um, I found if if um, if I if I um, did then as you played in different locations around the world, you couldn't quite replicate them. So I yeah. tried to make it. Pretty uh, pretty high level stuff, rather than you know having having your fa- having coffee before, from your from your favourite coffee shop before you played, you know. All right, Sharpie, I'm going to take you back to your childhood. What posters did you have on your bedroom wall growing up? Uh, I had um, I had the 1991 Wallabies on my wall actually. Yeah. yeah. Who was your favourite player out of yeah. that team? Um, I reckon probably I think it might have been John Eels because I was playing second second row at the time. <laughs> um, so that's it. Must have been hard when you first started playing with him. Not to how'd you go from fanboy to you know you obviously were sharing the same position. Oh, I just used to go and ask him for autographs all the time. No, no, I just sort of got on with it, you know. Like realised that he was a you know a, a childhood hero of mine and and. Um, there's no point getting too caught up with it. I just had to get on with trying to free position, really. Mm. All right, Sharpie, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone dead or alive. Now, who are you inviting? No family or friends. So I, can't, I can't bring my, uh, my, my wife. You don't want to bring your wife to this. You've got five invites, man. <laughs> okay, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, there you one go. Of them. Yep. Uh, I'd like to bring the rock. It'd be a bit of fun. No, it'd be cool. Do you watch, um, do you watch Ballers? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a yeah, good yeah. show, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good show. Um, I think I'd bring um, uh, Brett Favre. Yeah, Green Bay. You'd be a big Green Bay guy, are you? Oh, I just like his longevity and, and his resilience. You know, it's pretty cool. Uh, I feel like you want me to get political here. Oh, uh, Ryan Reynolds. And probably uh, I'd have to go with, hmm, it's a hard one, isn't it? Sharpie, I've given you five invites and I told you you can't even you have. invite your wife and you've, you don't even have one girl there, mate. <laughs> I know, I know. That's sad, isn't it? That's sad news. Uh, well, you know, if we have to go down that path and we probably have to go with someone like um, Mila Jogovic or something like that. Oh, there you go. Alright, everyone at home, I want you following Sharpies. Nathan Sharp5 on Twitter, Instagram, you can find him at Nathan Sharp. Sharpie, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I really appreciate you stopping by talking with TK, and hopefully we'll get you back on the show during the year. Cool, man. Thanks, TK. No Have a good day, man. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Nathan Sharp. Another action-packed and some great insightful comments from Sharpie. Next week we've got another bumper week. We should have Carmichael Hunt and uh, swimming legend Kieran Perkins himself joining me on the show. So stay tuned. Tell your family and friends. Best thing you can do for me is spread the, spread the word about talking with TK. So please tag me on posts on social media. Share it with your family and friends. And please subscribe via iTunes on Stitcher. So until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell and this was talking with TK.